Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com and covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. My name is Becky Schultz, editor of Equipment Today, and in this first part of my conversation with Shepard Nelson, equipment superintendent for Goodfellow Brothers, Shep shares what it's like to manage a fleet of roughly 1,500 pieces of equipment and 500 plus vehicles, the steps Goodfellow is taking to implement smart technologies for this operation, as well as the challenges and opportunities of turning telematics data into actionable insights. Let's dig in with Shep now. Shep, thank you for joining me. And just to start us off, I'd like to have you tell us about Goodfellow Brothers and the type of construction services that it performs. Sure, yeah, no, thanks for having me. Um, I was excited to, to be here. Um, so Goodfellow Brothers is a family-owned uh, company. We're in heavy civil is, is what we mainly do in construction. Uh, we are... Um, we have offices in Hawaii. Uh, we're from Washington State. Wenatchee, Washington is where the company was founded. Um, but we still have a lot of work in Washington. We have offices in Oregon, uh, in California, and then all of the Hawaiian Islands. So tell us about the equipment that Goodfellow has in its fleet. I, I understand it's a pretty sizable fleet of equipment. And can you kind of walk us through what types of machines that are in the fleet and what aspects of that you're responsible for? Sure. So um, yeah, like I said, we do mainly heavy civil work. Um, although, you know, we have, we do occasionally do stuff outside of that spec, but um, so we do, you know, mass earthwork, utilities, um, renewable energy projects, transportation, golf courses, fire cleanup, um, we have a blasting division. And so our equipment uh, is fairly varied and um, covers mo all those spaces, basically. So, you know, a lot of mass earth moving is most of what we do. So a lot of bulldozers, scrapers, excavators, um, probably the majority of the fleet is excavators. If there was one uh, category of equipment that we were um you know, just figuring out what was the most number, but that's because in Hawaii, we do a lot of uh, underground, a lot of utilities. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then in California, we don't really do that. We, it, we do a lot of scrapers. Um, and so uh, it just kind of depends regionally what the ground conditions are like are gonna really determine what equipment we're using. Um, and, you know, then we uh, um, all sorts of backhoes and uh, telehandlers and, uh, all sorts of things, but mostly earth moving equipment um, would, would be the, the vast majority and GPS. I mean, a lot, lot, of, lot of GPS on all that different equipment, of course. I imagine. And so um, what about vehicles? Do you have a lot of vehicles yeah. in the fleet as yeah. well? Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, that uh, not my boss, not my, the CEO of our company's least favorite thing to buy are vehicles probably but um that's just because they don't move move dirt but they do move a lot of our people um uh, we have about 500 uh trucks um from all the way from you know some rangers smaller trucks all the way up to um 
you know, full on like uh, tanker trucks that are moving fuel and things like that. Um, right. Do you have a sense of, of the total number of, of pieces of equipment that at least you're responsible for? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm responsible for all the equipment that the company uh, owns. Um, and it's approximately like 1500 pieces of equipment, uh, I would say. Um, yeah, and, and I oversee a group of people that do this. Um, you know, obviously not, not just me by any means. Um, so I oversee the procurement, the purchase, uh, the maintenance, uh, the sales and the financials. So our team covers everything to do with equipment. And, and basically the way Goodfellow works is uh, we sort of regionally, the regions tell us what equipment they need. Um, and then we price it out for them and figure out, how, you know, set rates that are and show them how much they have to work it in order to make it earn money. And then we create financials that show them whether they're making money or losing money. And uh, um, we help them source it and we move it around so that it continues to get utilization um, is basically what my team does. And then maintains it, of course, as well. When you look at the, the various aspects of what you have to do in terms of managing this fleet, where would you say the biggest headaches are? What, where would you uh, pinpoint some of the, the largest challenges for you? Oh, you know, I, I mean, it's different every day, of course. Sure. Uh, I would say that though, one of the most, one of the things that we've been working really hard on that is kind of uh, tough is we have, and I'm sure we're going to talk about technology in a little bit, but we have a lot of technologies and a lot of uh, different from telematics to um, software, uh, you know, maintenance software. And probably the biggest thing is we've got lots of data, lots of information, tons of information, all kinds of stuff, but getting the data to be like, so that you can actually compare it and use it across manufacturer or from platform to platform is very tough. Um, and that's something that we've been spending a lot of time and energy on. Um, so Shep, you were talking about technology and I'm curious to learn what types of technologies that you're using in, in your job to help to manage this fleet. Can you talk about some of the technologies, the key technologies that Goodfellow has in place to, to help with that operation? Yeah, sure. Um, so we have, I mean, a suite of uh, like a maintenance software suite, basically, that is, you know, prop if that went down, that would be a real problem. Um, and so that's everything from that tracks all of the equipment, uh, location, hours, um, and uh, the maintenance schedule, basically, we record all the maintenance, all repair, it's the, the record of, of everything we've done with the machines to the life of the machines. Um, and so, uh, and we track fuel in that and location, like I said, uh, partially in that. And so that, that's one big segment for actual maintenance is having a, a maintenance software. Um, and then of course, telematics. Um, and so we currently run two different types of telematics. We have a, one telematics for vehicles, uh, for on-road trucks. Um, and that is just because we found the very best 
telematics that we were able to find and we wanted cameras as well just didn't work very well for heavy equipment and so um you know i'd like to have that all in one suite and we we certainly worked uh diligently with the our our, our on-road telematics provider to try to figure that out but it just wasn't going to work and so rather than trying to rewrite the whole deal um we decided to break it up and so we have we have cameras um and telematics uh in the vehicles um and that's that's a very important part of the maintenance and also just safety um, and making sure that we're following all the different regulations and doing our e-logs and all that kind of stuff is all done in the vehicle telematics. Um, and then uh, we also have telematics in the heavy equipment. We've had telematics and heavy equipment for over 15 years, uh, which is a very long time. We started, we found a, uh, um, a provider that was working in the busing industry, working in schools, and they were uh, helping, you know, do a little bit of a walk around on the bus to make sure that everything was safe before they took the kids to school. And we saw that my predecessor saw that and was like, wow, this would be really great for heavy equipment. And so we worked with them in creating a walk around. Um, and now we're no longer with that company anymore. But, um, you know, we the industry is caught up basically to that. Um, and so we do daily inspections uh, now on mobile devices. Uh, and we do geofencing and you know all that kind of fuel tracking with and whatnot um, in that as well uh, with with a different telematics and then to tie all of that in uh, we are working we have a business intelligence uh, solution that is really back to my initial uh, quandary where I told you about the difficulty is combining the data or finding like data um, uh, we have, we've been working with a business intelligence program to try to combine all of that data so that we can make actionable decisions, um, more, you know, properly or and more in real time, um, rather than waiting for month long reports and just being able to look at stuff and, and also lay overlay data on top of each other. Cause we get so much data that it's like, sometimes you want to review data together. So rather than going into three different systems and try to piece it together yourself, you know, there's a lot of business intelligence softwares now that will take those different layers of data and overlay it for you um, in a much better, easier to read way. And so we have, we, on my team, we have a, uh, he's kind of like, he, I think his title, official title is controller, but he's really more of a data scientist um, that just works on taking data and making it usable for us and working it across platforms. And I think it's interesting because we are seeing those type of positions developing more so in the construction industry within the last even five years. Um, whoever thought that a data scientist would one day be needed to be able to help manage your equipment fleet. Um, but but backstepping a little bit, one of the, the things that I'm, I'm curious about is I assume you have a mixed fleet, is that correct? Yeah. So is that part of the reason that there are the challenges that you've encountered with being able to in, compile that data and interpret it in, in a way up to this point that you maybe could be able to deliver it in a more actionable format? Yes, 
And so with the most, with the most recent equ heavy equipment telematics that we've rolled out, we've hopefully solved some of what these issues are. So, you know, the, the equipment comes with its own telematics too from the right. OEM, right? So every different OEM has their own telematics on most new equipment. Um, and so that is already on the piece. And so what we were really focused on this time is making sure, and I'm very thankful to AEMP and AEMP 2.0 for create, helping create this standardization. And so we're, we're taking AEMP data feed from the OEMs and actually just bringing it. So the telex, telematics provider we went with on some older pieces, we do have their actual hardware, but on the majority of our equipment, we're actually just getting a feed from the OEM into their, uh, you know, their, their like uh, cloud-based technology. And so right. they're then taking their information and seeing it in like kind. So whether it's from, whether it's a Komatsu or a deer or a cat, we're going to be seeing the data through the AMP 2.0 feed through our telematics provider all the same. And, you know, there are little nuances in there, of course, anything like technology. My, my CIO one time got mad at me for saying that it was seamless. Nothing in technology is really, <laughs> but um, it is much, much better and much, much easier and more actionable when you're looking at it in the like way. Um, you know, the thing with data is that if it's not like, it's really useless. And so being able to um, compare across the mixed fleet it is the big deal. And so getting that, um, uh, you know, in, in and all of, uh, they pretty much all will offer a, uh, a feed that um, you can use. And you just need to be able to talk to your telematics provider and get them to uh, offer it to you through these different uh, data feeds. Okay, so it sounds like that there have been um, some challenges in, in getting it all pulled together, and, but I, I'm assuming there's some lessons you've learned along the way um, in terms of, of how to be able to capture the information that you need. Is there any um, advice you can give to maybe a smaller organization that maybe doesn't have quite the scope of that, that you do that might help them to be able to better take advantage of the information that they're collecting? Sure, yeah. So I would say two things. For, for the smaller guys, I would say that really consider, like there's a lot that these telematics providers offer um, and any technology, any software that you're going to buy to manage any bit of your fleet. There's so much that they all say that they do. Just make sure that the thing that is most important to you that you're buying the equipment, the software for, that that part pencils and that that part you're going to be able to manage. And then all the extra stuff, hopefully you can get there, but just make sure that it financially makes sense for you on the reason why you're buying it and make sure that you actually manage it because no software or no technology is gonna solve uh, your issues. You need to make sure that your processes in other ways are still right and clean 
and that you can actually make actionable decisions and do things with the data you're going to get. Because if you're buying a software system to hopefully run on its own and so solve your problems, that's unfortunately not going to happen in my experience. <laughs> so you need to be able to um, at least be able to have enough bandwidth on in your team to be able to actually be using software or the technology that you're purchasing. Um, and then in general, whether big or small, get other people involved in the process. I, I have definitely faltered in the past of being like, this looks great. We're going to buy it and buy it. And then you find out from, you know, IT or from, you know, whoever, whatever multiple different uh, groups that it doesn't work for them. And then, you know, you don't get buy-in. And so, and everyone's company culture is a little bit different, but ours is definitely one of, of working together and getting uh, consensus. So way before I buy a software or make the decision to buy any technology, I work on consensus building and talking to everybody that's involved in this, talk to different stakeholders and really get everyone's buy-in and maybe get them to do some webinars. It slows the sales process down for sure. So sorry to our distributors <laughs> that are hearing that, but it's better for them in the long run because then you're making decisions that are for the long-term that you've got people to buy in on. And when you run into problems, which you will, then you've got your stakeholders involved in that buying process with you. And that's gonna pay dividends down the road. So just get people involved early. That that would be my decision or my, my suggestion. Yeah, I, I think it's some great advice on all, all fronts. Um, and one thing I would like to kind of walk back on, you've mentioned actionable data um, a couple of different times now. Can you translate for us what types of information you find to be actionable. And, and one of the things that we're hearing a lot about when it comes to telematics is transitioning from reactive to proactive and then eventually to predictive modeling when it comes to the data that you're capturing. How does that all play into what your objectives are for Goodfellow and, and the fleet you're managing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think some of our issues about it being actionable is back to the point of you saying at the beginning, like what have been some of your biggest issues been and where I just said that the data wasn't really like, right? So if before we were running into things where you'd get some information from one of your different uh, data feeds and you'd look at it and you're like, oh, this doesn't look good. But because some of your other data is not necessarily bringing it up because it's not like or, or whatever, it's hard to actually take action on something that you're uncertain of, right? And so I think that if you can clean up your data feed so that you're looking at stuff in a similar fashion, then your data becomes much more actionable. So that means making sure that it's clean. It take, it's a lot longer process of having all the data go into your system and making sure that it's that it's clean and it's like kind and whatnot. But then when you're looking at the results, you can be much more trusting in it and you can actually take some action. So that, that's what I meant by that actionable data. And then, yeah, with so within the financials, 
we used to always look at our financials and, you know, by the time the financials come out, it's two weeks after the previous month or whatever, and you're looking at it. And so now you're looking at, you know, not only yesterday's newspaper, but you're looking at like six week old newspaper in some cases, right? So, uh, you know, you're like, oh, we got to make this change, but you're already halfway through the the month you're in right now. And so, right. Um, so a, a lot of the stuff that we're trying to work on now with business intelligence is instead of looking at the report a month, the month end report, we're trying to look at, okay, how are these days building into weeks and how are the weeks building into the month? And so that way, halfway through the month when we're saying, okay, yeah, we, we didn't do so well, or we did great last month, either way it goes. Well, the per the people you're talking to that are actually responsible for those numbers, they're always like, it's, if the numbers aren't great, yeah, but it's getting better and this month's going to be great, right? Or it was really good last month and we think we're going to keep it going. But if you can look, if you can have a, a business intelligence solution to be showing you what your what your production was or how your machines were running uh, today and, and this last week, you know, when they say it's going to be a better month, you can look at it and be like, well, but it also hasn't been a better two weeks. So are you sure it's going to be a better month? Because, you know, and not to call people out, but just, you know, when everybody's looking at the same data and it's fresher, you know, some of that kind of hopeful stuff goes away and we're looking at actual like issues and talking about, okay, we didn't do better last month. We're not doing better this month. What can we do to change? Where, what, how are we going to right. change this and actually uh, make a difference? Because yeah, just, you know, whatever that old adage is of not doing anything differently, but expecting different uh, um, results. Yes, sure. That's great, right? So, um, yeah, so a lot of that stuff. And then you brought up predictive analytics. That's something we're dabbling in. We are not full into it, but like for predictive maintenance, um, yeah, that would be wonderful if, if that works out. You know, we do oil changes on a lot of our machines every 250 hours um, and uh, some even less. Uh, and and if, if we were using predictive maintenance to know when things were gonna go out and we know we're gonna lose a pump at a certain number of hours and we just replace that pump instead of waiting for it to fail, especially if it's a production piece, um, I think that's there's a lot of money to be made there. Um, Absolutely. If that big, if that main linchpin production piece goes down and now you've got 10 pieces of equipment that are going to uh, all go down and stop, you're not going to run any of them. That's incredibly expensive, obviously. And so we do some of that, but actually having the data to tell us like this is when these pumps and this type of machine goes out or, or whatever. Um, I, I, we haven't gotten there yet, but that's a good, that's a goal for sure. Well, and I think it's a goal for the industry. It, there's, it's really just kind of in its infancy to be moving towards predictive types of analytics, but we're going to get there. It's just a matter of having, like you said, the clean data and the insights that you can, can be able to capture and, and have the historical context. So it's just gonna take some time. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, like you said, back to if the data isn't like and, and clean and trustworthy, then you're building, uh, you know, a history that doesn't make sense, then you right. can't predict off of it. But, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Well, that's it for this edition of Digging Deeper. 
Join me again for part two of the discussion with Shep Nelson at Goodfellow Brothers, where we'll talk about the company's history of tech adoption and the technologies it's currently exploring to help the company and the industry take the next step forward. Thank you for joining me. Until next time.